The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and, of course, past performance does not guarantee future returns. Merv, it's Marcus. Welcome and good evening. Oh, Marcus, it's Merv from Manorway. We're all, uh, oh, just a bit confused, a bit confused because there's this photo of Ben Thomas who's standing in Auckland Central, but he's sent a photograph, and the photograph, and he's in a Zorb filled with urine, and he's going over the Bombay Hills. Kalatata, this has gone by lunchtime. My name is Toby Van Hire. Uh, to my left is Annabelle Lee Mather. Morena. Morena. Kia ora, uh, It's um, 10 a.m. on Wednesday. And also Ben Thomas. Morning, everybody. Um, I've been up since 5.30. Oh, well done. I did, I did doing... TVNZ. Did you? Yeah, I was, I was late. I had to massage the bags oh. under my eyes. Oh. I had to do a lymphatic oh. treatment on my <laughs> face to be TV oh. ready. Um, uh, what were you talking about? Uh, Auckland Central. Oh, great. Well, we should talk about that too, and we will because they now at last have a new candidate. Um, among other topics, we'll talk about the Labour launch of the campaign. We'll talk about how National responds. We'll talk about Shane Jones and New Zealand First. We'll talk about buses and other things yet to come. Thank you to Flick Electric. Thank you to Spinoff members. Please subscribe to this podcast. Please like this podcast. Please sort of get it higher up airplane and do a banner behind the plane with the with the podcast. Go to go to iTunes and review Caucus and Tick Tick and give them one star. Don't do that. Don't, we're collegiate. No, it's okay to do this that. Is, it, That's okay. They can do that. Make your voice heard. This is an election year. Um, Did you see Caucus have copied us? This this year they've brought on a Maori and a PR person. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, you and Annabelle <laughs> melded into one. Into Scott Campbell. Beautiful sort of, yeah. um, yes, uh, we love all of our <coughs> fellow political podcasters. Um, very exciting news is that policy launches tomorrow on the spinoff that will enable you to compare all the different policy categories and the candidates in the seats. Exciting. Your edition is actually going to be amazing. I'm very excited about it. Um, the Labour Party launched their campaign on Saturday at the Town Hall's kind of repeat uh, of the 2017 edition. Slightly 
less giddy, I thought. Did you keep an eye on it, Ben? Yeah, I thought it was a bit downbeat. But downbeat. Yeah. I mean, obviously mm. the shadow of COVID and a global plague hanging over proceedings. But you're right, not the sort of rapturous kind of um, entrance in as 2017, you know, when we were writing the peak of Jacinda Mania. Mm. Mm. I mean, it's Jerry Mania these days, and we'll look forward to that at the um, National Party launch mm. on the following weekend. But it was, I mean, you say it wasn't rapturous. It kind of was, actually. I mean, uh, it, it there were the the it was I thought it was a bit more slick. It was almost as though last time around they couldn't quite believe it. <laughs> you know, it had that kind of the enthusiasm of the new act that's emerging and you can't believe that you're getting to see them the first time they play in the Brixton Academy or whatever. Well, I think you're right. Now they everyone definitely believes now. Yeah. It was an audience of true believers. Uh but it seemed a bit more like a standard sermon. Mm. than, uh, you know, kind of speaking in tongues and channeling the social democratic gods. There was a lot of audio-visual stuff going on. Um, There was a kind of um, Courtney Cena Meredith poem, uh, performance poem, which kind of ended in this sort of incantation of let's keep moving, (laughs) let's keep moving. There was Tammy Nielsen. Clark Gayford was actually very funny, Mm. um, to give him credit. Uh, He was funny, but I wanted some more weird Jacinda facts. Right. I saw you tweet that. We're, we're right. about three years on from the infamous Midnight Almond Milk the Almond story. Milk. Mm. Uh, Clark did mention that Jacinda is never allowed to see anything he writes before he delivers it. Um, and I think Jacinda said oh, that. Oh, sorry, that, she, she yeah. said that, yes. And yet that was clear from 2017 when the spouses or the partners were asked to contribute something to the Herald on Sunday about a week before the election. Mm. And Mary English's column was clearly written by Stephen Joyce. And Clark Gayford's column had clearly not been seen by anyone <laughs> except Clark <laughs> Gayford and had this incredible story about Jacinda and how she cared so much for other people that one night she couldn't sleep because Clark didn't have any milk for the morning tea. So she got up in the middle of the night and soaked almonds for his tea that that morning, and he said it was the best cup of tea I've ever had, and I hate almond milk. (laughs) I was like, why not get up 10 minutes earlier and go to the dairy and get the milk that Clark likes? You you, you think about that a lot. I think about it a lot. One of You've the things told that, that story several times on this podcast. It's have, captured have your imagination, the, the, that story. Eh? It's there, resonated. There is something, it's almost like he's, he's kind gonna of going to do some it. Almond milk. He's going to turn it into do. his masterwork and he's going to sort of approach it from every different perspective, you mm. know, like a kind of trilogy of feature length <laughs> films about the almond milk. First, Jacinda's perspective, then Clark's <laughs> perspective, and then the almond milk's perspective. That's what, right, the what kind of midnight I want to know is what did she do with the grounds of the almond milk? Because if it was Madame Davidson, she would have like turned them into some sort of renewable fuel. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> did Jacinda just carelessly dispose of them, mm. or were they mulched? What became of those <laughs> almond grounds? That's what people want to know. If anyone from the uh, Prime Minister's staff or family or household uh, knows the answer to that question, please uh, send it directly to the police station where Ben will be. But anyway, we just need some more weird Jacinda effects. Nothing Mm. strange has come out about the Prime Minister since the story about how she repeatedly apologised to the man who ran over her cat. And I think we're due for one. Oh my God. Can we take a moment just to remember 
paddles as we head into this next election. I mean, he was a pivotal player. He was what that baby yak was this year. Was he? <laughs> oh, all right. 40 days out from the election in 2020, and what we're going to do now is just have a moment of silence <laughs> for paddles. Annabelle, did you pay attention to the launch on the weekend? Um, Audrey Young noted, I thought, quite um, perceptively that there were many fewer references to Labour in the campaign launch speech from Ardern. Because in a way, you don't need that anymore. And then as others, such as Henry Cook pointed out, the the, the kind of centrepiece policy, which was a, an expansion of a sort of business subsidy scheme, business for employees, um, to to employ to, to bring on unemployed people. Um, that was a 2012 National Party that's now been kind of um, uh, turbo-boosted. Um, was the campaign launch, as far as you could tell, a pitch for that kind of um, median voter? I, I have to admit that I, I didn't catch the launch. Um, I work weekends. Oh. However, we did have um, Minister Megan Woods on the programme and Willie Jackson, who shared a ride to the launch, so I feel like I had like a connection uh, yeah, to it, yep. even though I couldn't observe it mm. firsthand myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and both of them um, had interesting interviews. Uh, if I could just promote my show for a minute, um, we had Megan Woods on as the Minister of Energy to talk about um, the energy pricing review. I, I have to say that it's probably an area where. Um, the government hasn't um, delivered enough to people in the provinces, particularly those in the central North Island who um, are still suffering massive energy um, hardship issues. The other thing that was interesting was Mahi asked her if she knew of the 529 Kiwi-built homes that had been built, how many had been bought by Māori, and she didn't have the number... Um, on her at the time, but we got a follow-up email from her office to say only 5%, 5%. which is well below what their target mm. was. Mm. Um, well, that's a, a good answer to but nothing. It's sort of almost political level answer. Anyway, the Labour tax policy is going to come out this week, um, which is Interesting, I think. Maybe I don't know when exactly, but it's 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 definitely happening this week. I'm told. Do it's a big a big debt building up, right? Like that is going to be one of the themes of the election. It's um, heading towards forty seven percent of GDP in a decade. You know, um, will Labor solve that with a bit of growth? Well, well, that's it. I mean, like Paul Goldsmith. Part of Paul Goldsmith's solution is that he's going to do super fast growth, and it's kind of. I mean, you know, that's a that's a perennial, a perennial politician's claim, right? <laughs> We're just going to grow faster. But will I mean, Labor also polling over fifty percent, uh, seemingly unstoppable. Uh, Centre left party. The highest tax rate in New Zealand is still like, what is it, 33%? 33 33% over $70,000. 33% over $70,000. Is this the moment that Grant Robertson says, let's do a 140K, 130, 140, 150 Mm. over that rate, but bump it up? That seems, it seems like obviously National want to turn it into a tax election. Mm. But would it, would it even be that brave? Surely it's the time to do it. Morally, 
it's the right thing to do and it would be in keeping with Australia where I think um, is it 45% is their their top tax rate is their top tax rate Um, but will they actually do it probably not they won't want to um, alienate the voters that sit in that tax bracket even though it's really what they should do and and let's be honest I think after capital gains tax we've seen that um, Labour uh Will will back down when when they feel the pressure. So, well, we've they seen they might put out one tomorrow saying that they'll raise it to forty five. But will it still be their policy come election day? Who knows? I mean, we had the tax working um, group mm-hmm. who who recommended that we um, instate a capital gains tax. Labor um, chickened out. Now it's and, off the um, table. For now it's off the table for for the, her entire mm-hmm. leadership. Um, uh, they don't have a, a sparkling track record, do they, when it comes well, to dealing it's, it's with, with, a, with tax? it's been like a giant thorn in the side of Labour Party for at least the last decade of going into elections as tax policy. Do you think that Do you think that something might happen there, Ben? The obvious answer is a higher, a new top tax bracket, mm-hmm. maybe around 39 cents or so, and that would kick in, you would assume, at a, a relatively high level. Most people believe that high income earners should be mm, taxed more. Right. What people disagree on is what is a high income earner. Mm. And it's 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 usually about 20 grand more than you earn. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and so in order to not alienate, you know, a vast swathe of voters, you know, I think um, I think about 10% of the country earns – of. Uh, you know, people in employment earn over a hundred grand. Um, if they bump it up to you know one hundred and thirty grand or so, you're catching a very small number of people. Yeah. Um, on the other hand, you would think that they would compensate for that by maybe moving up that thirty three mm. cent bracket yeah. a little bit to allow you know middle income earners mm. uh, to to keep more yeah. of their pay. Because so those have been sliding. Seventy k doesn't yeah, go very is, far is, in Auckland. Is, is, yeah, that's right. And so mm. this this issue of bracket creep, which is actually how yeah. you get all the money out of tax increases, um, originally when the top tax rate was put up to uh, thirty nine cents under the last Labor government. It was at $60,000 was the cutoff. And by the end of their nine years, a huge number of people were in that top top tax bracket. You know, again, only on that marginal rate above 60 grand that they earned, but who had not expected to be, you know, high income earners by Mm. Helen Clark's definition. Mm. If you put it up to about, you know, 110, 120 grand, you'll catch quite a few people and over the next 10 years you'll probably double that amount as as people yep. you know start coming into that bracket but in you know the strategy presumably would be to offset that with tax with uh, you know moving the brackets at the lower rate um, so that you know for the first 10 grand or so in that top tax bracket you're still in a bit of a wash in terms so of So if you, you offset know. some of that as you say so that the brackets more sort of reasonably reflect what they were intended to when they were created. And then you create a 130k new rate of 39.40 cents. I honestly don't see that there would I don't see that that many people would be upset about it. I see that you would frame it as everybody has to make some small sacrifice at this time. Um, it's a really difficult time. I don't think there are that many people that would be 
upset by that. Probably stage. not, but I think the National Party <clears throat> have been very effective at getting at, at you know drumming up hysteria around Labor's tax policy, and they're probably very um, good at at getting them to back down from it. I think if we are going to see any significant tax reform after the election, it will be relying on the Greens to get back in the into Parliament and be form a coalition with um, with Labor to to see some some significant change in terms of income tax because it doesn't sound like Labor have much of an appetite for it. Um, National launched their campaign in South Auckland on Sunday, I think it is. What do you what do you think, Ben, will be the sort of headline pitch? We had uh, Jacinda Ardern at the launch on Saturday, Kristen at the COVID election, which I think I wrote this in the piece after going along, that it seems like at once both a truism. I mean, of course it is. And also a strategy, you know, a, a bit of messaging, that it wraps everything up in that, cuts everything else out and closes it down. What do you do if you are advising... Judith Collins, uh, head of Sunday. What is it? I mean, is it the is it? I mean, the obvious response is the economy election, but maybe it's the jobs election. What I mean, what do you what do you how do you deal with this problem? The jobs election is a really tough pitch now because of those unemployment because figures unemployment that came out last yeah. week. Now, obviously, those figures aren't true in the sense that we would understand them to be true, in that the unemployment rate compared with three months ago, is certainly not lower than it was. Yep. There are not fewer people working There are fewer people in work. There, there are far fewer people in work. Um, a truer reflection of the unemployment rate would be about 6.5%. But the stat is the stat, which is 4% unemployment, and Labour will be clinging on to that throughout the campaign. Um, as Matthew Hooden, my former colleague, said in his uh, – recently revived Herald column. Uh, that was funny, wasn't it? <laughs> he, he, I don't know where he went. Did did anyone, Did anyone? he, was he just going on one of his skiing holidays? I, know, I, I haven't seen him. What? I think he's studying. Is he, no, he, was, he just know. sort of, he disappeared from all his but he's back now. spots. And then he's, no, he's back and that all seems fine. He's, just woke up from his dream. He's, and he's fine. Back. Yeah, it's good. Um, anyway. We, we live in a gig economy. You know, people come in and out of jobs. That's, you know, seamless transition. Mm -hmm. This is the future of work that Labour promised. So, you know, he, he he said that if um, it, you know, National can say, well, look, you know, the unemployment figures only look rosy because the government is artificially keeping them keeping up uh, employment with their wage subsidy, and then the government says, yes, <laughs> yes, that's right, we yep. did we did yep. that. Yep. Um, so that's harder. So you know, th then you go into better economy. I mean, pretty much every. Economist is predicting a you know relatively sharp downturn coming around near the end of the year because we've we've bounced back pretty strongly from the um, you know the, the lockdown phase, but now we've got to deal with the entire world going to dog shit on our doorstep mm. and yeah. the lack of uh, foreign visitors for tourism for uh, foreign students. National right now are doing that uh, kind of. A strategy of turning the question back on the government, you know, saying, well, why the Cook Islands being opened for a travel bubble in December instead of October? Why are we hearing about the second wave? But that's not a strong narrative. You know, this isn't question time. They can't put the government on the spot. The government has a narrative and nationally their own narrative. Mm. It's not totally clear to me what that is right now. 
I would have thought that they would be leaning into the government preparing people for a second wave, mm. that they would have been saying, look, the government has done a good job treating water, mm. but they know that we can't keep this virus out forever. They know mm. that their border is inadequate. They know that uh, the economy isn't going into a tailspin and they're just preparing us for the worst. I think that's what they think they're doing. Like, I feel, you know, the, the, the Jerry Brownlee stuff is quite intriguing, isn't it? And he's basically going, what aren't they telling us? <laughs> what, what, what are they hiding? I mean, he's kind of almost going full Merv on it with his level of, I mean, it is, it is something to listen to, his right? His interview like, on Morning Report was absolutely bizarre. And frankly, I think any reasonable-minded New Zealander who listened to that interview would be fearful of what would happen if Jerry was in charge of the border because the whole, what do we need masks for anyway? It doesn't why, why, seem why would we even need masks? It's, like, like it's called pre- preparing for the worst-case scenario. Yeah, it seemed to lack common sense and like... Ben said, "It's just wouldn't you wouldn't you lean in rather than approach it the way he did? It was it was so. Weird. It seems though it's motivated by I can only guess. We we chatted about this after the pod last week. Why, what happens if there is an outbreak during the election campaign when the government is sort of semi suspended? You know, it's normal 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 machinery." Uh, and you think that would be terrible for the incumbents. You think actually may probably wouldn't at the moment. Mm. So I can only guess. I can only guess that the thinking behind the what are they keeping from us? What are they telling us? Why are they selling us masks? But also we're getting better, blah, 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 is to try and plant a flag, lay the groundwork in such case that that might happen so that they can then point back to that and say, you see, I don't think that's... I think, too, it's just trying to drum up fear, which is a, you know, a, a, a powerful um, emotion when, when um, people vote. But I don't think it's going to be successful because I think people are more scared of getting coronavirus than they are yeah. about paranoia, about what we're not yeah. being told by the government. It's hard, right? But I kind of... I mean, like you listen to Michael Baker. I, I think I think I've heard him use this analogy. Various people have, but it's that whole: we're five minute, minutes into an eighty-minute rugby game, mm. and yes, you know the shape has been established and uh, things are looking good, but there's a long way to go. This is far from victory. Blah blah blah. It sort of feels like a statesperson-like series of addresses on that front might be a bit more impactful. I would have thought so. And if, you, if you're trying to undermine the government's COVID response, you just embrace the preparation for level two mm. coming back. Mm. You say the government knows it can't keep this out. The mm. government knows that it's either going to tank our economy or let people in with our inadequate borders because they still haven't got contact tracing right. They still haven't got um, the border secure. You know, I'm not saying any of these things are necessarily true, but there are enough questions that you could run that line as an opposition. Mm. So the lack of clarity around their messaging is what's really confused me. I actually couldn't follow Jerry's interview on RNZ. I didn't understand what he was trying to say. Well, he's not got- to mention, too, that it's also all message with what Judith Collins said when she took over the leadership and Muller that they weren't going to be doing oppositional politics for opposition sake so yeah I think that goes out the window in an election campaign in in parliament you've got this collegiality you're working together to create better laws 
you're holding the government to account, but you're also supporting the good things. Right now, it's just a grab for power between largely the two major parties. Mm. So I don't think that they can be held um, <laughs> responsible for any uh, or, or blamed for there's making also, an opposition. Though, there's also unquestionably in Jerry Brownlee a fire burning about Radio New Zealand. I mean, he just viscerally loathes it with every every inch of his being and you know the jerry mania that i've mentioned earlier this it's it's relentlessly grouchy you know like that's 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 the style um jerry brownlee did an amazing job with the reconstruction of christchurch you know the voices that are loudest tend to criticize him but when you actually look at the numbers there are 180,000 houses that were either destroyed or seriously seriously damaged they put in place a managed repair program that I think there are 7,000 homes which still have outstanding issues. Now, in absolute numbers, of course, that's a lot of people whose lives are affected, um, who have got issues and who are unhappy with the situation. As a percentage, it's less than 5% of a massive, massive reconstruction program. Somebody was telling me that the uh, brands, the building association, say that for new builds on houses – there's about an 80% callback rate in terms of dissatisfaction with the work done. Here, there's about a 5% on the reconstruction of an entire city. Jerry led that process. He was living in Christchurch during that process, dealing with all of the critics, dealing with the Christchurch press who, you know, looked out onto the ruined city and, you know, and, and you know, were very critical and negative during that whole time. And great, I think that did that did, job. I think that, that period job. did kill a bit of... Jerry Brownlee's joie de vivre, if you will. The bow tie. The bow tie. Um, remember that the, when he was there's that great photo of him not doing karaoke because it would have been many decades before karaoke was invented. But that black and white photo of the young Jerry Brownlee singing. He he's a good singer. Um, Baritone. Yes, there are, there, 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 are, there are many, many different opinions about um, um, Brownlee's uh, management of the Christchurch recovery. Mm-hmm. There's no doubt that he's proven himself over the years in many regards to be a very uh, capable politician. Let's talk about um, uh, Auckland Central. And at last we have a full roster of candidates with the election last night, the selection last night, um, beg your pardon, of Emma Mallow, which is, I mean, a great name, straight off the bat, to replace Nikki Kay, um, who stood down in the great Muller catastrophe. Um, seems like a pretty smart. I don't know. I don't know. Seems like a pretty, you know, a, a, a young liberal woman. Seems like what the what the doctor ordered for National Party. Ben Thomas, what's your what's your Nikki Kay two point um, she Emma said Mello. she's not Nikki K 2.0. So well, that's... I'm a political expert, yes, and she's Nikki K 2.0. <laughs> okay. Um, I, <laughs> I, I met... Nikki can't surf life save, though, and Emma can. And no, I, I think Nikki can. can. Nikki can do triathlons. But does she, though? But does she? <laughs> but does she? But does she? <laughs> and, and is Emma as green or as... Or as Auntie Nikki, or is she mellow yellow? Ooh. Huh? Oh. Oh, this terrible stench is just <laughs> rippling through the room. <laughs> 
Hey team, sorry to interrupt, it's Producer T here, just wanting to tell you about the spin-off members. A new, well, not really new, but an initiative to help us fund all the journalism that you want to know. You can email us, tell us what you want to see, anything you want. Visit thespinoff.co.nz forward slash members. And while you're here, just, just listen to one of our other podcasts. Do it. I'm telling you, it's a great time. Okay, bye. She seems like she wouldn't, look, put it this way. This is a superficial assessment, but she seems like somebody who would probably be okay wandering around barrier, you know? Like, and that's that's not, you couldn't say that for every national candidate in the country. Yeah, and barrier is not the voting stronghold of Auckland Central. Disagree. <laughs> <laughs> Emma Mello is an extremely professional driven, competent candidate. You know, she's been highly successful in her career. She was a press secretary to the Minister of Women's Affairs in New South Wales when she was working over there. Um, now she's, you know, in a very a senior uh, comms position at ANZ. I met her when I think she would have been probably 18 or something, you know, when I was down in Wellington at some some young, some party. And you said to her, Emma, you are going to be Nikki K 2.0. I, I did not say that. She's very young too. Uh, she's only 30, which she's is 30, cool. She's 30, yeah. And I think by the time I went out for a cigarette, I had a Facebook friend invite. Mm. Somebody told me that, <laughs> somebody told me that they, when they met Emma, she had emailed her contact details to them during the conversation without breaking eye contact. Um, you know, there are some people who are just born for campaigning uh and you know i think she'll be an excellent candidate i think if she was given the same lead-in time that nikki was um she would be able to wrap it up very difficult you know six weeks out um nikki obviously had a high personal vote in that electorate higher than the national party party vote Mm. on the other hand uh the party vote of Green and Labour combined, much higher than National's party vote, but the Labour party vote a little under the National party vote last time. Now, you would assume that Chloe Swarbrick is a much, much, much stronger candidate than Denise Roche. I mean, we know she's a much stronger candidate, but you'd and assume And Denise that Roche was not com- campaigning for, that, that's for, right. for the vote electorate. And, and so you would assume that that vote for the Green candidate will go up significantly. So I've... I've gamed this out in my head and I can see ways that all three of those candidates uh, Helen White from Labour Emma Mallow and they're going to split the vote and Vernon Tarver's going to come yeah I I can see how all of them lose but I can't see how any of them win Mm. Mm. Um, what do you think of you paying attention to this uh, hot Auckland central broth it's it's a shame for Emma that you know obviously there's this shadow that's been cast over her selection by the by the by Ben (laughs) and Merv and the smear campaign that was run against um, Nuanthi. Oh yeah, Merv. And can I just say that I can you tell us about Merv because not everyone will be up to speed with Merv. Obviously, he was at the top of our podcast. So the other night a call was placed to Marcus Lush. Marcus Lush. Great broadcaster. Great broadcaster. When? In the the midnight hours. It was late late last Monday night. 
by a caller called Merv, Merv. who lives in Manurewa, Manurewa? to express his but, uh, confusion that her billboards were up in Manurewa, Manurewa, Manurewa? Um, but that she was seeking selection in Auckland Central. You can't stand in two seats. I'm just confused, Marcus. And he's right. Um, however, like the end of an episode of Scooby-Doo, Merv was, <laughs> <laughs> Merv was unmasked and revealed to be none other than... The National Party board member someone bridge roger bridge ryan bridge <laughs> no <laughs> roger bridge i who apparently had dug deep into the past like 25 years back like quarter of a century back into the national party playbook to hone to do a hone on the hone <laughs> hone on the hone Hone Carter, who, who once upon a time rang John Banks and pretended to be an unemployed Māori man and was subsequently promoted, well, not promoted, but lost his job as whip, but then got a great cushy job as the High Commissioner to the Cook Islands. We, we, we should stress that Mr Bridge denies that it was him. Uh, Tover O'Brien, who was the Scooby Dooby... She was Daphne. She was She's Daphne. Daphne. Yeah. She's Daphne, that's the one. Yeah. Um, Jenna's Velma. Yeah. Lloyd uh, um, <laughs> uh, Burr is Scooby. I think Patrick Gow is Scooby. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 they had uh, established that the phone, the phone that, that came from was, was his. So, we, we, you know, we, we don't know. But it may well be we do, but. that um, Talkback Radio has been kept alive over recent decades entirely by senior players in the National Party. You know, the thing is that when, like, it's, it's a little bit hilarious. We all agree. It's very funny. But the truth is, is that it shows how deeply seeped into the culture of national the National Party dirty politics is. You know, you have people... Um, you have the, the marekura of the National Party, Michelle Bode leaking patient information. You have, you know, a senior party official ringing talk back to smear, um, well, not to smear, but to, you know, um, discredit a, um, a their own candidate. I mean, you're not even trying to destroy another candidate. You're destroying, trying to take down someone in your own party, and it's only candidate selection. It's not yeah. even. It's you, not even. You know, you're not even in, in the campaign proper. So I think it really shows that what, while we think it's funny, the ill discipline and the culture that's been allowed to burgeon in the in the national party, including you know. We've seen misogyny. We've seen, you know, one Chinese is worth two Indians. And the cynicism. Um, well, that was independent MP Jamie Lee Ross. Well, well he was an independent at the time, but um, <laughs> he was a part of the National Party. So I think it's concerning. Another issue that I think is worth noting about this is that I spoke to the Institution for Exotic Dancers the other day, and they're deeply concerned that their industry is being besmirched mm. by being associated with the National Party. They think it reflects <laughs> negatively on the good character and the strong work ethic of their organisation. So the, the National Party should, you know, lawyer up. 
the exotic dancers are <laughs> yeah. coming for you. Well, and frankly, to be honest, this is another part of the smear campaign against this young woman is she was accused of being a stripper. Seriously, yep. that's the least of their problems. Yeah, yeah. They're and like the party of sex <coughs> pests. Having a stripper would like raise oh the mana of their party at this Do moment. You think- Let's just return. Can we just return again to how funny it is, which is <laughs> that, you know, the, the Auckland candidate selection was in a mess. They were getting bad publicity in the politic newsletter and in the newspapers and you can just imagine somebody came to Roger Bridge, the senior, the grandee, the Mandarin of the National Party, and said, Roger, we need you to sort this out. And, you know, thinking that maybe he'd pull some levers or make some calls. Or, <laughs> and instead, Roger Bridge is like, it's his mind, I, mind I know. <laughs> I'm going to take care of business myself. <laughs> I, yeah, pull on the boots one more time. I'm going to call talk back at 11.45pm with a funny voice. That's a power move, eh? A power player. <laughs> Pulling your power moves. Making money moves. It's just so That's old true. school. Right, this is because right. this is this is before the sort of shit you could. I mean, this is sit bad boys of Brexit need to <laughs> pay some attention. This is the sort of high level, twenty six dimensional chess you get in New Zealand. Shout out to the boys, love the boys. This this is actually how politics dirty tricks used to be done. It you know you didn't used to be able to sit in your Kremlin office and set up fifty sock puppet accounts and thirty Instagram hashtags and you've interfered in an election. You used to have to sit down and you do the hard work. Roll up your sleeves. You, you <laughs> Get have, on the blower. Call people up. <laughs> you, you had to put on a you had to put on a strange accent and call talk back. You had to get all your friends together in the lounge where you would hand write letters mm. to the editor mm. and use your spouse's name or whatever and come up with somebody else's landline out of the book and send it in as a member of the public. You know, kids these days don't know how easy they have it with no. their black ops. Quite right. Do you think, uh, Annabelle Lee Mather, that Shane Jones should consider having a photo of him as a stripper leaked in Northland? <laughs> Given, it's not a bad idea. Given that he is, according to the Colmar Brunton poll for Q&A on Sunday, he's on 15% support behind Willow Jean Prime for Labour mm. on 31%. And the much maligned, Matt King of National, on 46%. Mm. And that's their lifeline. That was meant to be the way back in for a party sitting on two, if that, mm. in most of the recent published polls. I'm not super surprised by that result because Willow Jean is a really strong campaigner and she ran in the by-election however many years back. and um, Until she didn't anymore. Yeah, and she she's, um, she's uh, you know, on the ground working hard, so I'm not super surprised by that. I am surprised that New Zealand First have put all their eggs into that um, one basket. I also thought it was interesting that the... Labour's party vote is higher than Nationals' vote in that same poll. And Mm. I do wonder um, why, given how close he's come, you know, in years past, (coughs) many years past, but why they didn't perhaps um, put a bit more effort into Ron Mark's campaign because, you know, he's quite high profile, he's popular, it's an interesting seat. I mean, it was once held by Georgina Beyer, um, so they seem like a, a an electorate where if enough efforts put in, you could swing them either way. 
so why they've just relied solely on um, on the far north. I don't know. It seems it's a seat to take it. I mean, it's a seat if that, somebody that said to me won in that by election, but um, uh, if somebody said to you what, Ben? If somebody said to me, your life depends mm. on Shane Jones's work ethic mm. as a retail politician. Your your future success depends on Shane Jones getting out and door knocking and holding street corner meetings mm. and rattling signs at six a.m. by motorists. Mm. I would, <laughs> I, I I would just <laughs> you'd try and enjoy what you had left. Yeah, I, I, I would straight embrace to, straight the sweet to, inevitability. Straight to <laughs> rainbow's end, wouldn't it? I like, think I thought yeah. that like the PGF and the gratitude from the, that community mm. would be reflected in the vote. And obviously they have done some really great investments with the PGF, but I think I said before a couple of weeks ago, I don't know if they've necessarily been very great at telling the story of that success and selling what they what they have done. So that probably hasn't helped very Toe much Henner either. there uh, rather uh, cuttingly said on, um, on Q&A in light of the poll that Shane Jones, his old pal, uh, was good at campaigning from his kitchen window, and that was about it. <laughs> you know, I mean, he is—he's very popular among certain elements in the press gallery, that you know, and he's mm. got the raconteur stuff going on. He's got a—I gr- mean, he's great to interview, great turn of phrase in both Te Reo Māori and English. Mm. You know, there's levity. He's smart, so you get why he's a popular politician with the. Um, with the press gallery, but in terms of door knocking and all of that sort of stuff, I'm not sure if that's his sweet spot. Is that it for New Zealand First? Don't say, don't say you rule right off New Zealand First at your peril. That's go, that's money in the swear jar for anyone who says that. Ben. I would say it's oh, a little. Well, I, I do think that you know there's a there's a, a couple of good politicians in um, New Zealand First, and it'll be a, sh- a shame. Some to, good, to see some them, effective cabinet ministers? Well, I think yeah. one that immediately springs to mind because of a story that's come out today is Ron Mark and mm. finally getting um, some comp- just compensation and an apology for the Nepatha brothers who were appallingly treated by the New Zealand Defence Force. Go look up that story if you don't know about yeah, quickly it. Quickly on that, quickly on that. That's a story that you have been covering as a producer for some years, mm. did, all the way back to Marty TV. Yeah, and, um uh, uh, George Nepoto has at last got some compensation mm. for for what happened to him uh, in the theatre of war. What? what why not? Why, explain to me quickly how how come he's got the compensation, but his brother hasn't. I'm not a hundred percent sure. One brother was dropped on his head during an exercise and became a tetraplegic. Five years later, the other brother had a uh, an accident in the army's old Scorpion tanks and um, received burns to 40% of his body. I think it's because, possibly because um, George, being in a wheelchair, hasn't been able to return to the workforce, Mm. and B, because of some issues around um, Damien's um, accident. But it's a a co-papa that Ron Mark has been championed championing for a number of years and he actually brought the story to us back in 2013 so mm. it'll be a shame to see Ron Mark go I think Jenny Marcross done a great job in terms of um, being a voice for Māori broadcasting and an advocate for iwi radio um, but that's an option for the voters of Auckland Central that's right so um, you know it's um, there's some important voices or some 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 voices that have done good work, particularly for Māori, that it'll be a shame to see them go if um, New Zealand first drops out. 
very quickly, Ben, you think New Zealand First is finished? This is the end. And so it is. Many thanks to Tina Tiller, who I'm happy to say, uh, contrary to um, some of the discussion on the last podcast, has not been murdered. I'm alive, bitches. I'm out <laughs> can't, can't, can't believe that Labour announced its job start policy only three days ago and Tina's already back. Also, like thanks, thanks Jacinda. Stuart, I'd like to thank Stuart Salmon Lund for um, his help with this week's podcast. Reminder to subscribe. Thanks, Flick. Thank members. Thanks, Annabelle. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Tina, again. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Merv. Merv! Thanks, Liz. Kia ora e te iwi. Tia he Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spinoff member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spinoff Podcast Network.